Hello, welcome to Ignited Youth. We are happy to see you and hope you enjoy our episode today. Connect with us through Instagram at bvcc.youth. If you would like to submit an anonymous question or have a prayer request, please click on the link in the description. Without further ado, here is today's episode. So, this is a new series, new series, good series. We're gonna we're talking about the lies of the devil, and and there are a lot of them, and we're we're only gonna talk about five, but there's so 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 many, and the one that we're going to discuss today are or is this the lie is that some things can't be forgiven. What do you think about that? Some things can't be forgiven. Now, I didn't grow up in a church. Didn't. Wasn't, wasn't my path. My, my parents weren't Christian. They, they didn't go to church. They, they, they didn't bring me to church, for surely. They didn't speak uh, of God's word to me in my life. But, but I remember stories of my childhood from the perspective of my grandparents and my parents and it always struck me as odd they, they would always say that you know I was kind of a bad kid right I was I was violent I was I was mean I was I was angry I know some of you know me now like that's no way yeah 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 thanks for the uh, <laughs> benefit of the doubt but I was always getting into things I shouldn't uh, tearing up stuff and, and really making a ruckus. But when I look back on that from my own perspective, the way I remember it, I feel like I wasn't that bad, right? I feel like I was kind of a, a decent kid, right? And I mean, at least I was kind of good. I was, I was kind of not bad. I wasn't going around like hurting anyone or, or, or I don't know, doing drugs or, 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 or anything serious uh, or anything that I considered, you know, really, really bad. And I would always chime back to them every time they would tell this story about, oh, you were such a bad kid. It's like, well, I could have turned out worse. I know many people may have, may have even said that, or parents may, yeah, I've had that conversation. I, I, I've heard that. I, I could have turned out worse, and, and I would chime back. I was, so, I was such a, uh, a rebellious little teenager. I would say, oh, I could be in jail. I, I, I could be out doing drugs. I could be partying until midnight. I, I could have, uh, I could have I got a girl pregnant or something crazy. At least I'm, I'm not that bad. I could be worse. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, all I did was just tell a white lie. But I, what I want to tell you is that there's, there's no such thing as a white lie. There's no such thing. It's a lie. But for some reason in our hearts, in our minds, we, we have levels to these things. We have levels to sin. But this, isn't, but this is a problem in our lives and our Christian faith. The levels to our sin, the levels to our faith, the levels to our outward devotion, the levels to how we praise and worship, the levels to how we make ourselves appear on on social media, right? Oh, I, I can't post this on Facebook. I have church friends on there. Oh, this outing with my friends or, or, or this picture of this thing, that's only for Twitter. This is only for Snapchat. This is for my group chat with my friends. No, not for anybody else, or, or even better, this picture here. It's for your eyes only, my boyfriend or girlfriend. We have levels. 
And often we have this system, in, at the very least in our minds, of, of, of all these, these levels of, of how close we are with God and how far other people are with God. Have you ever um, seen a Snapchat or, or seen a social media post of friends and been like, man, that's pretty wild. You guys are wild. You, you, you may have seen that group and like, oh, they're cussing or they're, they're drinking or they're, they're going out and doing things. And like, wow, they're, they're, they're crazy. They're, they're out there. They, they need help. But by whose standards are they out there? By whose standards do they need help by? Like they are out there compared to who? And every time we play this game, this level game about who is better than who, the only person that we, or the mo mainly the, mo uh, the person we compare them the most to is ourselves. So if you do something wrong, it's not that bad, right? Oh, it's just a white lie. At least I'm not like that. I could be worse. But if somebody else does something that is further than what you are doing, you may say something like, dang, that person is bad. That person is really bad. And they must not be right with God. And somewhere along the way, we become the measuring stick, the tape measure of God's goodness. It's, it's almost as if we have declared ourselves as the gauge of which God measures each of our goodness. Like, like somehow your friend who's acting a fool, who, who went out and partied all night, and, and slept in Sunday morning and didn't go to church and, and as we sit here all dressed up in our Sunday's best somehow we sit here checking our boxes I went to Sunday school class check I did Sunday morning worship check I gave my offering check right I took notes hearing the sermon check showed up for the night service check everybody in here right like somehow, just because we show up on Sunday, it puts us on a different level as somebody who didn't. Like somehow all of these things that we're checking off, they feed our insecurities that, that, that tell us this lie, right? That, that we are better than you. That my life is better than that person or this group of friends. I'm better than you. Where I live makes me better than you. What opportunities I have make me better than you. And I gotta be honest, guys. I'm guilty of those thoughts. I mean, how could I not be? Ask yourselves if you have ever thought these thoughts. That person who steals, surely I'm better than him. That person who goes out and drinks every night, surely I'm better than him. That homeless drug addict on the side of the road who has nothing, surely I'm doing something right more than them. God is blessing me and not them. Surely you think it's because of God, your own works that God is blessing your life and not blessing them. And, and maybe you haven't, then that's fantastic. But there's something deep down in us that, that we think that if someone did something bad, that what people do that's who they really are. And if, and if I did that, and, and somehow you didn't, somehow you're better off than them. When it, I'm going I'm to be honest, guys. When it comes to sin, often we recognize the sin out in the world. 
but none of our own. We are always the victim and never the villain. And as a result, if I walked up and asked anybody here if they were good, a good Christian or a bad one, your response would more than likely say, oh, well, of course I'm good. I mean, after all, we're, we're in the pews, right? We're, we're doing something right. And immediately you may begin to compare yourself in your mind to, to other, maybe even so-called Christians and say, you know, I think I'm better than her. I, I think I'm better than him. So, of course, I must be all right. Even if I went further and asked you if you are a victim of sin, you might immediately think, well, oh, yeah, people have done horrible things to me. People have wronged me. People have betrayed me. And you could tell me. You could tell me who it was. And if I asked you, tell me the people who have abandoned you. Tell me the people who have betrayed you. Tell me the people who have disappointed you and stolen from you and done all these wrongs to you. You could tell me their name. If I asked you to show me the people that have failed you, you could tell me their name. You could tell me the people who caused you the most burden, the most damaged, all of this pain in your life, and you could tell me their name. But what if I asked a different question? What if I asked, tell me all the people you have hurt. Tell me all the people you have betrayed, that you have abandoned. You'd be far more eager to confess their sins against you than your own sins against them. This is where all of us are, are, quite frankly, we're all hypocrites. We all do this. It's very hard for us to recognize our own fault. But this is the truth. We are all victims. But hear me on this. We are all victims, but hear me. We are also all villains. We all commit sin. We all commit wrongdoing. There are people who hurt us, and there are people that if I would ask them, who's hurt you? they would point you out of the crowd. They would point you out of the lineup and say, that person harmed me. That person hurt me. I, I have a, um, I, I want you to think of the, the most you know, godly person you know. It could be our pastor. It, it could be, uh, maybe it's even Jerry. It, it could be uh, your parents. It could be someone super famous. The, the, maybe even the, uh, a preacher like, like Billy Graham. I, I assure you that whether it be the most godly person you know, the most successful person you know, the most well-off person you know, or the drunkard, the liar, the homeless drug addict eating out of the trash, we are all in need of the same grace that is provided only by one person, Jesus Christ. The truth is we are all sinners by nature and by choice. We all choose to do this. And we all need forgiveness. There's some silver lining here, guys. It's coming, it's coming. Jesus forgives sin. And that's a beautiful thing. In Mark 2, 5, uh, 7 to 8, it says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Son, 
Your sins are forgiven. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? So here's the story. There's this guy. He's in sin. He's in suffering, right? He's going to lift his sin, and, uh, or God is going to lift his sin and ease his suffering. Jesus is going to lift his sin and ease his suffering. And he says, I forgive you. And, and what I want to understand is that all of our sin is against others because we, we commit sin against ourselves and others, but ultimately, it's also against God, right? Sin is different than just a mistake. It's different than a failure. It's different than some sort of imperfection. Sin is also different from a crime. But, but sin isn't just between you and yourself or you and someone else. It's ultimately between you and God. If, if sin is against God, right, then, then who is the only person who can forgive us? Well, of course, that's God. People always say things like, I, I just can't forgive myself for, for, for this thing I've done in my past when I, I wronged this person so wrong and I have so much guilt in my life and I just can't forgive myself, right? But let me tell you that, that that's not your biggest problem. You're not going to die and, and, and stand before a mirror and give an account for your life and, and, and say, well, I should have forgiven myself. No, you're going to die and you're going to stand before God and give an account for your life. And it doesn't matter if you have forgiven yourself. It doesn't matter. If He, God, has not forgiven you, you are eternally unforgiving. We tend to... to uh, live our life in, this, uh, the, in the seat of God and, and this, this whole world tends to be like very self-centered and, and built on self-esteem and, and, and all this uh, me, 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 right? This self-love, this, this, and we lose sight of, of everything that is God focusing on, on ourselves. That when we come, that we, we forget that we come from God, we're here for God, and we will return to God and give an account to Him. That ultimately, our offenses, our sins, our transgressions are against God. And so forgiveness has come from God. And you need to know that in these verses we just read in Mark, ultimately Jesus forgives sin. And those that are present in that uh, scripture, they're not speaking it, but they are thinking it, right? Who does this guy think he's doing that only God can do? They say that. They, they think that in their minds. And Jesus says, I also know your thoughts. I know, they, I know what you think. But let me answer these questions for you. Let me tell you something. Aren't you glad, as a side note, aren't you glad that people can't read your thoughts? Or that, that I can't read thoughts? Man, I'm standing up here, it'd be a little bit nerve-wracking if I could hear everyone's thought. You're like, man, this guy needs to sit down and be quiet. No, no, no. But, but I'm certainly glad, and I know a lot of people are glad, that, that we cannot hear thoughts and other people cannot read your thoughts. Unfortunately, there's someone who can. You know, Jesus knows your thoughts. He knows your unspoken desires and beliefs. And so, so as you, you thought about, man, it's so great that people can't read my thoughts, be like, well, oops, somebody can. And when he says in this moment up in those verses in Mark, it says, I am God, I do forgive his sins. And by the way, while we're at it, you have your own. Paraphrasing. And your sin is, is that you that you're not loving me, you're questioning me, you're not following me, you're despising me. And sometimes the reason we don't talk about our sin is because we don't know that there is a solution. And as a result, we, we don't 
want to have some sort of problem for which there is no solution for. But the good news is that Jesus Christ forgives sin. That is the reason why Jesus Christ came. The literal reason why Jesus Christ came. He lived a perfect life. The perfect life that, that you and I have not lived. And he died a, a, a uh, substitutionary, right? The propitiation is what it's called in the Bible. Death. To pay our debt of death to God. What Jesus literally does is he puts us in his place and takes on our place. So he takes all of our condemnation and we take salvation. He gets the separation from the Father on the cross and we get the reconciliation with the Father. We get life and Jesus gets death. He gets the wrath and we get the grace. He says it in this way in, in 2 Corinthians 5.21 uh, God made him who had no sin be sin for us so that in him we may, might become the righteousness of God. This is often called like the, the great exchange, right? I, I mentioned it earlier. It's the per, God died in, uh, for the propitiation of our sins, literally to pay a debt for us. And he came down uh, to put us in this place and he forgives, right? And, and what Jesus says on the cross is astonishing as he is sinless and perfect, right? And, and they're murdering him because he says he's God. And what he does is he, he prays in this moment on the cross. He said, God, Father, forgive them for, for they know not what they do. And then Jesus Christ dies right there to answer his prayer for that forgiveness that he just cried to God for. Died just like that. This is why we love Jesus so much. And I, I don't know what kind of debt you have, right? Financial or anything, but it pales in comparison to the spiritual debt to God. And Jesus pays that entire debt in full. In full. Past, present, and future. He forgives you. Let me tell you that apart from forgiveness, you cannot be a healthy person. Apart from forgiveness, you can't have healthy relationships. Apart from forgiveness, apart from God's love, you can't love anyone. You wouldn't even know what love is. You can't be close to anyone. You can't trust anyone. You can't enjoy anyone. And if you have a functioning conscience, you know that there's something wrong with you. Deep down, you know that, that we're going through this life and, and we're, we're, we're doing things wrong. We're committing sin. We're, we're, we're doing something wrong. But like I mentioned before, there is good news. We have a Savior. I don't need to be good. I can be forgiven. I don't need to be perfect. I can be forgiven. I don't need to shift the blame on something else because I can be forgiven. I don't need to make excuses. I can be forgiven. I don't need to be broken. I can be healed, right? And I, and I don't need to be burdened. I can be unburdened. I don't need my past to determine my future. I get a new future. Christ makes me new. Because He is our Savior. And He comes, Jesus Christ comes to forgive sin. And you need to be forgiven. And you need to be forgiven by God so that you can receive love from God, so that you can have a relationship with God, and you can enjoy this new life with God. That until your sin problem is dealt with, you can't deal with any other problems in your life until God is in your life. You are completely incapable of handling your own problems. You can't. Incapable. I had a question when we came in here. 
and the lie was that sins, some sins are, are, are not able to be forgiven. What I wanted to establish was that first, we are all sinners. We all need forgiveness. We all need Jesus Christ. Forgiveness is, is where God takes away sin and replaces it with his presence. And then he helps you with all of your problems in your life. And so many of us are trying to deal with our own problems, but we aren't starting with the first problem. That is, we need to be forgiven, and we need God to help us in our life. And people say this all the time, well, well Christianity is a crutch. Oh, it's, it, it's, 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 oh, you're only going to just throw a pity party, right? But, but the thing is, is if you have two broken legs, you're a pretty big fan of crutches. You know, Christianity requires humility. It requires you to come to God with your hands full, not full, excuse me, your hands not full of your performance, not full of your morality and your efforts and your works and your deeds, but to come empty-handed and say, I am the problem. You are the solution. I have needs and you alone can meet them. I have made a mess of my life. So I'm inviting the Messiah into my life. God wants your worst before you are at your best. He wants your sin before he asks for anything else. So let's talk about forgiveness. And the only way we can talk about forgiveness is going straight into the story of the Bible. So let's read the story of the Bible. And the story uh, of God making a way to, to rescue his creation from their sin and restore relationship with them time and time again. God's people hurt each other and hurt him. Yet God forgives them. Every time they turn to him, right? The first time human beings were also... Um, or the first time there was human beings, there was also sin, right? And the first to experience God's forgiveness, given the freedom to choose to obey God, Adam and Eve opted for rebellion. Yet, yet God pursued them and made a way for the human race to experience redemption. Moses murdered an Egyptian in anger. Yet God used him to rescue his enslaved people Aaron made a golden calf and helped the people participate in idolatry. That's a pretty big deal, by the way. Yet Aaron was later appointed head of the priesthood. Rahab, a prostitute in Jericho, turned to the Lord of Israel became, uh, and, and became part of Jesus' family tree. After decades of opposing God in the worst ways imaginable, Israel's most immoral king, uh, Manasseh, repented. He founded forgiveness and was even restored to his kingdom after being held captive. Matthew, a tax collector with a bad reputation, became Christ's disciple. A repentant criminal who was crucified with Jesus Christ and cried out to him and was welcomed into paradise. Peter denied Christ three times in the hour of Jesus' deepest need, yet, yet he became the pillar of the church. And Jesus exposed, or when the Pharisees uh, trapped a woman in, in adultery, Jesus exposed their hypocrisy and forgave her sins. A greedy tax collector named uh, Zacchaeus climbed a tree to, to see uh, Jesus and, and came down to receive forgiveness. Paul, the killer of, of Christians and self-confessed chief of sinners, is a prime example of the grace of God. Luke gives us one of the most powerful accounts of love and forgiveness of God. 
a, a woman with a, a bad reputation was, was washing Jesus' feet with, with her own tears and drying them with her hair. And the Pharisees in whose home the, 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 uh, Jesus was a guest in found such behavior scandalous and objected to it. Saying, Jesus, why would you let this woman even touch you? Tell me, teacher, he said. To people owed money, to a certain money lender, one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more, he said. Simon replied, I suppose the one who has the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus said, you have judged correctly. It doesn't matter what debt you shoulder. It doesn't matter how large that debt is. Jesus Christ forgives it all, pays it in full at the cross. As soon as you repent and walk into your relationship and accept God into your Jesus Christ in your heart, that sin is no more. That sin is forgiven. It's gone forever. You no longer need to shoulder that weight. God forgives all sin, past, present, and future. As in some more direct statements in the Bible that, that clearly identifies this truth, we can go to Colossians 2, 13 and 14. It says, when you were dead in your sin, in, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. This verse very clearly says that all sins are forgiven. All. All are paid. The word all in Greek is the word pas, and means all, every, whole, all manner of it thoroughly, and refers to the completeness that there is no sin that Christ's sacrifice did not cover. All of our sin, past, present, and future, has been nailed to the cross. The, the moment we place our faith in Christ, all of our sins are nailed to the cross. Our debt to God is paid in full. When the, the Bible says even further, in Psalms 103:12, as far as the east from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. In Isaiah 43:25, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Isaiah furthers in, in 44:22. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. In John, uh, 1 John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. John, John was writing us to reassure the believers of their salvation. He said plainly that you may know, you may know that you have eternal life. Meaning that you could know with absolute certainty that you were saved. John would not have given this reassurance if salvation was so fragile that it could be lost in your sin. Lost by, by not confessing or, or, or repenting it after you accepted Jesus Christ in your life. If salvation depends on our obedience and our repentance, then it was because of our works that we are saved. And that's not true. Furthers, uh, John says that salvation is not at risk, but that we can know with certainty that we are saved. In Hebrews 10, 10 through 17, it says this, And by that will 
we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all, day after day. Every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which we can never take, which, excuse me, can never take away sin. But when the priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. And first he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Sanctify means to set apart, to, to be made holy. By believing in Jesus Christ, Jesus for salvation, we are not only justified, declared right in God's sight, but we are also sanctified, set apart, and made holy. It says that, that we have been perfected in God's sight. Yet this verse that we've just read says that those who believe in Jesus are already perfected forever. When, when a judicial standpoint, it, it literally says it has already happened. And it says Jesus died for us once for all. Once for all. It's done. And, and it, does, it doesn't have to be, this, this forgiveness doesn't have to be reapplied year after year, sin after sin. Instead, we are perfected by his one sacrifice once and for all. In, in 1 John 2.12, it, it furthers this, the same theme that your sins are forgiven. He's saying, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on the account of his name. Well, this is pretty clear already. You know, your sins have been forgiven. But in the Greek, it even makes it more clear. In the original Greek, it says, uh, it makes this point abundantly clear. The word translated forgiven is a perfect participle, which means it occurred in the past, but is also continuing in the present. This verse is saying forgiveness is always present for those who have placed their faith in Christ. Forgiveness is always present. There's absolutely nothing of your works that you can do to separate yourself from the love of God. As we, we go into this, this thought, this, this process of, of what it is to be forgiven. Remember, I came in here to establish something, to, to disprove a lie. The lie is that there are some sins that, are unfor that, are, that cannot be forgiven. That's a lie. That's the devil's lie to you. Whatever weight, whatever sin you're carrying, know that, that Jesus died for that sin. When you accept him into your life, that sin is gone. And this grace, it's kind of hard to, to understand. It's kind of hard to fathom, right? So, so what is grace? This grace that we're discussing is the unmerited, undeserved, unearned kindness in favor of God. So we've established the fact that we're all sinners. We've established the fact that Jesus forgives all sins. So... So, so what is this grace? What is this forgiveness? In Ephesians 2, 5 through 10, it tells us a little bit about this. It says, God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. 
God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that that the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in the kindness to us in Christ Jesus for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and that is not from yourselves it is a gift of God not by works or the law so that no one can boast for if we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. The moment we are saved, guys, we are seated with Christ in the heavens. Paul, Paul was speaking to believers, telling them that they were already seated with Christ in heaven. Notice how this is written in the past tense. It's something that has already happened. Right, right? God isn't, isn't, isn't waiting until the, the end of your life to, to make sure you've been obedient or good enough, right? If you have faith, you will inherit the kingdom. It's not about your works. It's not about your obedience. It's not about the things you've done. It's only about your faith. Of course, a separate discussion uh, on uh, what comes after faith, but uh, we can talk about that at another time. So, God isn't waiting for us for all of our good works to, to, to accumulate. We, we neither make or save ourselves. God does the making. God does the saving. I, I don't want us to get lost in this message, right? Because this, this is kind of a hard thing to, to, to understand when we, when we measure it, the full love and grace of God. And, and it may be easier to, to apply to ourselves, but when we start to apply it to everyone, which God says we need to do, man, this, this concept of grace is hard. There was a time in your life, maybe, that, that you needed God and, and you went to Him and, and, and pulled you out of the situation. But maybe five years later, or maybe you're, you're thinking of where you are now, um, you're doing better. You're, you're doing things and you're, you're better off and you have a new job and you're, you're going off to college and, and maybe you've even graduated, right? Or, 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 or you're going um, to, to do off and do great things. And these past years, God rescued you and delivered you and somehow you needed God then at that moment of your confession, at that moment of your greatest need, but you're doing better things now. And, and, and what happens is, after all of, of these good deeds we, 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 we pile up, after we've gotten through that crisis that we've gone through, we're often proud of what we built. We're proud of our families, our jobs, our lives, all of our things that we've accumulated. And, and, and this pride, this proudness of what, everything that what we have accomplished, what happens is, and I know in this sucks, what, what, what happens is, is that it doesn't make you better than anyone else because your life is going well because your family is doing all right because you're doing great things because you've got that new job because you've got that new car because you have all these friends that does not make you better than anyone else and this is where religion comes in and Owen, uh, all of these religions they, they, they often you know we, even in the, the church of Christ here we say oh we believe this and we believe that uh, we worship on this day and we practice this tradition and everybody's trying to be God's favorites but, but God is standing up there and looking at all of us and he, he, and he says to you you're, you're all my favorites I love all of you the same Every single one of you. And this is grace. And it's hard to understand. 
Even the worst of the worst? Even that other church denomination? Even the person who hurt me? Even the person who lied to me? Even the person who abandoned me? And God tells us, I not only love that person, but, but watch this, because I will leave the 99. And, and God's saying, wait, hold on, because I know y'all are good, but my child, that person who hurt you, that person who abandoned you, who you think you may be better than, that person I love, and I will leave the 99 to go save him. And God is coming to us today telling us that everything I have, I, I ever had, I've given it to you, but the reason we celebrate, God says the reason we celebrate today is because God's children were lost. I was lost. There's people in this room who are lost, who have been found. Every single one who has committed their life to Christ was lost. Isaiah was lost. Jerry was lost. I was lost. Marari was lost. Jose was lost. Haley was lost. We were all lost at one point in our life. And some of us may still be lost, but, but God is rejoicing. Because all of these people who were lost were found. And none of us merited it. None of us did anything to, to garner that love. We did absolutely nothing. We don't merit the grace of God. It is freely given. Grace covers all sin. God, God is not holding you hostage for that sin you committed in college, right? Or in high school, or in the summer break, or the spring break, or, or what you did over the weekend, or yesterday night. God is not holding you hostage and saying, no, you can't go to church because you've sinned. You can't do this because you've sinned. God doesn't do that. He tells you, he openly embraces you and says, we can move on from this because my son already paid the price. Jesus Christ already paid the price. It's already been paid for in full until you realize that any man that be in Christ is a new creation and behold that past or behold his old past uh, ways that they're made new. Before you recognize that, you're going to have a hard time understanding grace. But we can say that all day long. We can say that all day long. We can say that we are made new. We can say that, that Jesus forgives our sins. We can say all of these things. But the question is, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you live your life like this is true? Or are you stuck in shame and in this, this, this burden that you have and you're, you're afraid to give it to God? And you're afraid to tell anybody else. And you're afraid and ashamed of all these problems going on in your life. Do you live like this is true? And the challenge I, I, have given, I want to give everyone today is to, to take hold of this truth. To take hold of it and believe it. Now, now everything I've said up to this point is, is a little interesting. So we, we have the fact that we're all sinners. We have the fact that Jesus forgives all sin and that we need Jesus Christ. We need that forgiveness for our sin. But, but what I want you to understand also is that this is not a free license to just do whatever you want. It's not. 
Jesus didn't die so you could be like, well, he died for me. Let me go out and party. My sins are forgiven. Woohoo. Like, let's go throw a party. No. It's not a license to sin. In Romans 6, uh, uh, in, in Romans chapter 6, it clarifies this in, in great detail. I'll, I'll read just 1 and 2, uh, but I'll go in and explain the whole chapter. It says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? By no means, he says. Shall we continue to be in sin? In Romans 6, Paul tackles this question of why, why Christians should not continue to sin once we have been declared righteous by God because of our faith in Christ. And it is true, you are declared righteous in Christ, but it doesn't give you the free banner to sin. After all, Paul's you know, recent teaching right here declared that we are no longer under the law of Moses, right? We've ushered in, Paul has ushered in or described the ushering in of a new covenant with Jesus Christ. And Paul's first answer is that we don't have to do what sin tells us to do any longer. So why would we keep doing it? He then reveals more information about what happens when a person comes to faith in Christ on a spiritual level. And we experience, we experience a spiritual death to sin rather than to God and rebirth that parallels Jesus' own physical death and resurrection. We are raised to a new spiritual life. In fact, by faith in Christ, we become so closely connected to him that this particular spiritual death is a new death to sin itself. The reason we are not slaves to sin any longer is because of our old self was crucified, right? The dead men are freed from their old masters. Sin can't tell us what to do anymore. We are literally dead to sin in Christ. This parallel here is talking about your acceptance of God and your baptism. That parallel, right? going under the water, rising out of the water, paralleling God's death and resurrection. You are dead to sin, so don't sin anymore. I know, no, that's, that's, that's easy to say. It is. I'm not going to lie to you. Impossible even, right? But as long as you're continually going to God with your issues, continually reaching out to God and creating this and strengthening your relationship with Him, you can overcome all. And it's, in fact, the only way you'll be able to overcome anything. I want to, to end today to, to clarify something. And it's something that, that we may have all dis even heard before. And it's something called what, what many call an unforgivable sin. And we're like, wait a minute, Mark, you just said that all sins are forgiven. And... And, 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 and there's, there is no sins that aren't forgiven. That's, that's all, all true for Christians. Christians, there's no sins that can be forgiven. The only sin that's not forgiven is unbelief. How can God forgive you if you are not in his covenant? How can God forgive you if you do not believe in Jesus Christ as your savior? Your sins, you will not be sitting up in the kingdom and the throne of heaven if you don't believe in God. And so, while it's, while it's a bit antithetical, I just want you to, to understand that the Holy Spirit, He convicts the world of its unbelief. But as long as you have a relationship with Christ, as long as you have accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, into your lives, to work in your soul, all is forgiven. And you can have faith, as, as Paul writes, with certainty that you will be, you will have eternal life. I want to end uh, today with a prayer.
um, and and then we can go on and, and uh, to the communion and offering. And I hope that we may have come here today and, and, and maybe learned something new or, or, or figured out a little bit more about a problem in our own life and, and how we are to achieve it. And as we went through today and discussed the lie that is the fact that uh, some sins are unforgivable. That's a lie the devil is going to tell you. All sins are forgiven. We've talked about it. Right? Only, un only unbelief in God. Right? Only unbelief in God is punishable. So, and as we go through the Bible, we've, we've, uh, we've understood that, that, that God is loving. He's forgiving. He, he's gone through and, 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 and forgiven all of these people of their sins. And so, I want you to take heart in knowing that the God of the universe, Jesus Christ, is your Savior. So let's go ahead and guys and, and, and bow our heads and, and, and pray for, for this. Dear God, we, we thank you for this, this, uh, this, this moment here today. We, we, we hope that, that you uh, were able to speak through, through me, God, and that, that uh, we, I was uh, allowed to, to glorify your name in this way, God. I pray that you continue to, to work in here, God, as we close out this service and worship, that, that we are continually drawn closer to you, that the, the devil that, that is attacking us with all of these lies about all of these past deeds that we have done, that, that we know that those are just lies, that those died at the foot of the cross, is that as long as we believe in Jesus Christ, we have eternity in heaven. As long as we believe, it is by faith that we are saved, not by works, by faith. So there's no deed or no sin or no, no, nothing that we can do that, we, that, that can't be overcome, that has not already been overcome and paid at the cross, God. We, we pray that that truth elevates every single one in here to, to get rid of whatever's bothering them, get rid of whatever's uh, holding them down, whatever weights on their shoulders, God. I, I pray that they lift it up to you, God, that, they have, that you give them the strength to, to, to give all the problems, to give all these things to you because we, we understand and we recognize that, that, that you are the only person who can help us. You are the only person who can solve these problems. You are the only person who can, who can wash us clean uh, from this, God. We, we, we pray that you continue to work in our lives and, and challenge us to, to do uh, your will for our lives, God, to, to fulfill your plan, God, to go out into the world, to spread the word, however that looks, God. We pray that you continue to work in us and move us. In your name we pray, God, amen.